0: A subject I want to talk about now, though, is the big drug bust that happened on the streets of Victoria. Seventeen people are facing charges after a four-day undercover investigation. Joining us to discuss more is Cameron McIntyre, spokesperson for the Victoria Police Department. Hi, Cameron.
1: Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being on the show. Can you tell me what led up to this undercover operation? What problems were you seeing that needed to be addressed?
1: What we'd noticed in Centennial Square uh, in our downtown core was an escalating uh, number of violent incidents. We had multiple files involving weapons Uh, of note, a couple files where a city hall office window, uh, as well as the McPherson Playhouse were both shot with compressed air guns, uh, causing thousands, if not multiple uh, thousands of dollars in damage to those locations. We also had multiple serious assaults where, where numerous people were injured, as well as uh, a couple of very concerning stabbings uh, in two instances where the victims suffered uh, potentially life-threatening injuries at the time. These were of concern for us. Uh, we heard from members of our community about the escalating violence in this area. We had heard multiple safety concerns uh, over the past few weeks and months, uh, people not feeling safe going through the downtown core of our community. Uh, we take this personally. Our job is public safety. So in an effort to combat this issue, uh, we conducted uh, an undercover operation over several days in August, uh, really looking to target um, individuals associated with the drug trade who we know are connected to the increased violence in that area.
0: So it sounds like, well, this was a drug bust that's really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the problems being experienced at Centennial Square.
1: Well, we know that uh, where there is an active drug trade in our downtown core, uh, it is tied to this increased violence. We know that a lot of this violence stems from uh, you know, drug trafficking gone wrong. Uh, other instances, other uh, examples surrounding the drug trade. So uh, it was an appropriate measure to take to to target those who are moving into the area. There are those uh, in Centennial Square who are experiencing homelessness, but many are not. Many are taking uh, advantage of the situation and and using this as an opportunity to exploit some of our community's most vulnerable people.
0: Mm -hmm. They're preying on those people.
1: Absolutely. And we know we observe uh, one person leave their residence get in their vehicle and, and drive to Centennial Square, where they then took up uh, in a tent for the day. We know that many of these tents are occupied by people who are not living there, not seeking shelter. They're actually using the tents um, to conduct their trafficking operation, making a significant amount of money as a result.
0: Wow. So how did this undercover operation go down?
1: So our officers um, posed as as customers. and we're, we're in the tents, we're, we're buying drugs, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, psilocybin, uh, fentanyl was purchased on numeric, numerous occasions. Uh, and that's that's how we conducted our undercover operation. We, we experienced ourselves the, the level of violence that's playing out in our downtown core. Our officers were actually uh, robbed as they were. Uh, conducting their undercover operation during the course of this investigation, so um, it's a, it's a really good example of of what's playing out in our downtown core, or has been playing out. We're hoping that our recent action will will help to improve the situation.
0: Unbelievable! So the officers, albeit undercover, were actually robbed while this operation was ongoing.
1: And, and it speaks to to what we've seen there. We've seen a number of individuals with concealed weapons. We recently. Um, confiscated or seized, uh, you know, hidden hidden clubs from people, knives, uh, a taser is a recent example of other weapons and items that, that people are walking around with in our downtown core. And, and and we're told uh, when we seize these weapons that, that the folks are in possession of them to protect themselves from the level of violence that has been playing out there.
0: What is the risk level for officers involved in an operation like this? And how do you address that?
1: Well, it is significant. We, these officers are trained undercover officers and, and, and they take the necessary uh, precautions. There is a team in place. This was uh, a, a combined effort. We deployed a number of resources to this investigation. Our strike force team, we had officers from our community services division as well as patrol officers working together to target these traffickers. So It was a combined effort with safety obviously a, a top priority. However, uh, we can't control for uh, all things and, and certainly uh, our experience there demonstrated that uh, that there is still violence playing out in that area.
0: Of the 17 people who are facing charges now, what is their fate?
1: Uh, there are a number who have already been arrested. We are um, out in our community today actively pursuing those who continue to have warrants, but a number of them have been arrested. They will be released on conditions Uh, including conditions not to return to Centennial Square. And those that remain outstanding, we will be actively pursuing them uh, in the hours and days to come.
0: Coming up on the show, we're actually going to be speaking with the Downtown Victoria Business Improvement Association. I imagine that you've been hearing concerns from them as well surrounding Centennial Square in particular.
1: We have heard from our downtown business community and our hearts go out to them because we understand Uh, the challenges that they're facing when it comes to uh, property crime and when it comes to uh, people not feeling safe. So we are working. We we are aware of the problem. Uh, This is a recent example of some of our efforts to combat this issue, and we will continue. Uh, The reality is, is that, again, public safety is our job, and when we're hearing from members of our community that they don't feel safe because there are stabbings playing out in our downtown core, Uh, it's unacceptable to us. So we will continue to target these individuals and work to uh, improve the safety of the area.
0: For people who are in Victoria and they are seeing something that they think is unsafe, particularly if it's related to something that's occurring at Centennial Square, how should they go about contacting police?
1: It's so important that people call us with information and with tips uh, or if they have safety concerns and they see an ongoing incident to call 911. The reality is, is that so much of the successes that we experience in our files are a result of uh, members of the public reaching out to us and giving us information because we can't be everywhere uh, all at once. So uh, we really hope the public uh, understands that we're here uh, and if they have information or they see something concerning, to please give us a call.
0: Cameron, before I let you go, I want to ask you uh, one last question on a subject that I spoke to your police department with when we began this week, and that was a guy who threw not one but two parties this past weekend, and he ended up getting a very large fine in related to COVID-19 rule violations. Have the Victoria Police Department handed out any tickets related to those COVID-19 violations since we last spoke?
1: My understanding is is that thankfully we have not had to issue uh, further CRMA violation tickets. Uh, The situation last weekend was uh, extraordinary in that this person had multiple people to their one-bedroom apartment building, uh, really with no regard to the potential consequences to uh, public health and public safety. So we're thankful that since since that experience, hopefully uh, the message is out that if people choose to be reckless in this manner, uh, that that the CRMA will be enforced.
0: Well, Cameron McIntyre, thank you so much for the work you do making our streets safer and stay safe out there.
1: Thank you, Nikki. Have a great day.
0: Welcome back to the show. We're continuing our discussion about Victoria's problem leading off of an earlier conversation we had just a few minutes ago about a big drug bust that occurred in Victoria, particularly around the Centennial Square area. And Now we're going to discuss what the business impact is of that seemingly out-of-control problem in Victoria. You know, when I think about this subject, I always think about Paul's Diner, which is located in Paul's Motor Inn. It's this 75-room motel in Victoria. And a couple of months ago, that motel was purchased by the government to house people who are experiencing homelessness. And obviously, that is something that is much needed. However, Paul's Diner said that for them... Business is no longer viable, essentially. They said they just completed this $150,000 renovation, and now who's going to visit their restaurant? They said essentially their business has dried up as a result. And these are the types of impacts on business that we certainly need to balance as we continue to address the homeless problem throughout, not just in Victoria, in Vancouver as well, throughout BC. Speaking to us now is Jeff Bray, the Executive Director of the Downtown Victoria Business Improvement Association. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That story that I just laid out, I imagine it isn't just exclusive to the owner of Paul's Diner. I imagine you've heard similar stories from business members as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, one of the... uh, um issues that this has sort of raised uh, and i know certainly you know vancouver is is no stranger to this you you use the term homeless uh and and you know i wonder whether or not we now need to start to have the conversation about what percentage of the individuals that we currently see living in tents are uh homeless or are they in fact unhousable and the difference is that what we're seeing is many of the individuals have active addictions um serious mental health uh, issues that are either untreated or even undiagnosed. Uh, And the criminal element that follows that group around, that preys on that group, that they themselves have to engage in to to feed their addictions, that it isn't simply a matter of shelter, that there are all of these significant uh, issues that these individuals are dealing with, and they have a profound impact on the community around them. And I think, um, you know, now we need to start to have those conversations. For, for downtown Victoria, I mean, lots of downtown, of course, is still very safe, uh, um, you know, much like Vancouver, but there's certainly a certain level of unsightliness. Uh, but we also know that uh, many of our businesses have seen uh, just a skyrocketing increase in break-and-enters, smash-and-grabs, shoplifting, as a result of having a congregation of people who all need to feed an addiction in and around uh, one or two block areas
0: those businesses are they primarily worried about property or is there concerns for staff safety as well oh uh,
2: both uh and in fact you know most of them uh, this was an issue in victoria that was uh rising even prior to covid uh and it really i mean you know there's insurance there's you know always a certain amount of asset loss in in downtown retail Uh, but what was changing was the behavior of the individuals on the street the level of disorder primarily because of the types of drugs that people are now ingesting, was making staff feel particularly unsafe, uh, and um, that's a challenge. And I think uh, the response has been historically that, uh, well, these individuals have challenges and you need to be more compassionate, that that for a lot of people that, that has sort of run out, and now we're dealing with hard impacts, uh, people not coming back to work because they don't feel safe, Uh, and, and we need to rebalance, um, you know, between being a compassionate and caring society, but also holding people to account for their behaviors and recognizing the behaviors have a very broad negative impact on the broader community.
0: Wow. So you've heard from members that they have employees who say, I don't feel safe coming back to work, not because of COVID-19. I don't feel safe coming back to work because of the neighborhood in which that business is located.
2: Uh, the, in fact, a, a a major business right by the city hall, Centennial Square, where one of the encampments is, uh, they've been demanding hazard pay from their employer. Wow! Because of what they're dealing with, and uh, uh, we but we were hearing this, you know, in the winter, before COVID, you know, it gets dark at four thirty, quarter to five. So if you're a 19 year old um, female uh, college student who's just trying to pay your your tuition and you're the sole person closing up a boutique or, or, or a shop, uh, and you've got this kind of disorder happening in and around you, or you have to go make a bank deposit, you're not feeling very safe. And, um, we have been slow to acknowledge that that's a real feeling and that's a real concern. Um, and, and I think we need to, again, rebalance and say that's not appropriate. Someone shouldn't feel unsafe being at work. Uh, because of what's happening on the street. And so my hope is um, that you know, we start to, to move towards a balance and, and actually hold people accountable uh, for their behavior and put employees uh, and customers and business owners at least on an even plane with those that we're trying to help. There's a sense in Victoria that that balance has been lost and all of the attention, all of the effort, all of the focus, all of the resources... Been going to this sort of group of 250 plus individuals, and nothing uh, for anybody else who's being impacted.
0: Mm-hmm. I imagine that there's been a cost impact as well, hiring private security or installing surveillance systems.
2: Exactly. Well, in fact, uh, you know, and and uh, you know, this is an unfortunate, uh, although not for the companies, but there's been an explosion in in uh, those companies that provide that kind of uh, private security, just to, they're doing patrols of whole blocks. Businesses have got together and, and hired them. Uh, they're doing whatever they can to try to protect, um, you know, their their businesses and try to provide some sense of safety for for their staff. Somewhere it's not so bad because, of course, it's still light out later, but uh, it was a real issue, again, even prior to COVID. And we know it's driven by... Uh, the illicit drug use. I mean, we we, we know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not having the honest conversations about how to deal with it.
0: Jeff Bray, Executive Director of the Downtown Victoria Business Improvement Association. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Earlier this month, hospitality workers held a hunger strike outside of the legislature building in Victoria. They were hoping to put pressure on the B.C. government to provide them with financial assistance. I think it goes without saying that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a major financial impact on the tourism industry and on the hospitality industry. But as of noon today... Hospitality workers gathered again in protest at Tourism Minister Lisa Baer's office in Maple Ridge. Representative for United Here, rather Unite Here, Local 40, is Michelle Travis. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for having me, Nikki. Now, you arrived at the Tourism Minister's office about a half hour ago. What's the scene like there now? How have you set up?
3: Um, Well, uh, hotel workers have been engaged in a hunger strike for the uh, actually last three weeks since October, uh, August 10th. Um, We have been on the lawn of the B.C. legislature Uh, today. We uh, moved our encampment to uh, to Maple Ridge, the office of the tourism minister. Uh, So we uh, put the tent up this morning. Um, Folks, the fasters will be out throughout the day. And for coming days, uh, and and right now we're in the middle of a press conference uh, and we'll be kicking off a demonstration shortly. Uh, Pastors have been joined by uh, members of the community, uh, clergy, elected officials, to really urge the government to address the crisis facing 50,000
0: hotel workers across B.C. who've been impacted by the pandemic. Right. What is the message specifically that you're really trying to get out today?
3: Really, we've been asking and urging the province to... uh, I address the fact that, you know, one of the hardest hit sectors has been the hotel sector. Uh, workers, most most of the workers in the sector have been laid off since mid-March. Uh, most of them are still laid off. Uh, we know it's going to be a while before the industry recovers because of border restrictions, um, the cancellation of the cruise lines, restrictions on meeting sizes. And the the one thing that we've been urging the government to do is to make sure that workers have a right to return to their jobs when the industry comes back. And what that means is but if you were uh, working in your job on March 15th or you know when you were laid off, um, you, when, the, when the industry starts to do better, you're going to be first in line to get your job back. We don't want to see folks losing their jobs uh, while they're on layoff, being replaced when the industry comes back, and workers being replaced for less. Uh, a lot of workers have been in this industry for a long time, for decades. Um, uh, we have a, a woman today's fasting Has worked in her hotel for 27 years as a room attendant. Another faster has worked in her hotel for 45 years as a, as a room attendant. And they just want to know that they have a job to go back to when the industry starts to recover.
0: Outside of that job security, is there anything else that you're hoping for? Any other kind of financial assistance?
3: You know, right now, uh, it's, uh, primarily the, the focus is really on a right to return to their job. Um, you know, in terms of financial assistance, Uh, We feel like the the federal and the provincial government, you know, have made efforts and and steps to make sure workers don't fall through the cracks. Um, You know, really, the primary focus here is to make sure workers have jobs to go back to.
0: Now, this is going to be another hunger strike, uh, like the other strike was that was at the legislature. I can hear the sounds in the background. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now those those people there that, that we can hear in the background are they continuing the same hunger strike from from the legislature? Is it the same people who are on That's strike? Right.
3: It's the same. It's the same hunger strike. Um, you know, if folks. Have, uh, the the hotel workers that are participating in the in the hunger strike uh, choose. You know, however long they they feel like they're able to uh, to sort of last on a, on a hunger strike. Um, some folks may choose to do it for a day or two. Others have done it for uh, up to a week. And it takes a real toll on the body. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a comfortable, uh, a comfortable experience. But uh, the reason why they're participating in the hunger strike is they really want to send a message to the government that, look, if we don't have some, some security or certainty about having jobs to go back to when the industry does recover, we're not going to be able to feed our families. Uh, we're not going to be able to support ourselves. And there are not a lot of jobs out there. Um, you know, uh, The, the laid-off hotel workers are looking for other work. There's not a lot out there. Um, they love working in this industry. It was a booming industry up until the pandemic hit. Um, we know it's going to come back eventually. Um, we just want to make sure that nobody uh, it loses their job because of the pandemic. Um, folks have worked too hard to, to build a livelihood out of this industry that we know is a critical part of the B.C. economy and it's going to eventually come back
0: hmm Last time we spoke, we talked about Nadine Abenez, who is a hotel worker. She's worked at, I believe it was the Hyatt Regency, for years and years and years, uh, 12 years, I believe. Do you know how she's doing now? Because she was one of the hunger strikers that, I, that we spoke to before.
3: That's right. She was one of the original hunger strikers. Um, she uh, conducted her, her hunger strike for about five days. The medic had suggested that she uh, end her fast a bit early because of um, some health concerns, um, so she she did do that. Um, but she is, you know, still you know <laughs> still fighting to make sure she's got a job to go back to, um, and very committed. And she's actually out here today, you know, supporting the other women and men who were fasting today, uh, who were laid off from the from there from the job. How many fasters are there today? Today, I think we have about uh, six, and then there are members from the community who've also joined the fast. Um, But, you know, six hotel workers, and we expect more to join, you know, as the days go ahead. And when folks feel like they can't go on, then, you know, more hotel workers come to replace them.
0: We can hear in the background drums. We can hear chanting. What is being said right now?
3: Uh, That's a great question because I'm
0: having a hard time hearing with a chant. Uh, uh,
3: I couldn't tell you right now because I'm having a hard time hearing it. Uh, They may be saying... I'm sorry, I I, I won't do it justice right now because I can't hear.
0: (laughs) That's okay. It it sounds emotional, nonetheless. And it sounds. Yeah,
3: no, it is. I mean, people are taking this very seriously. And, uh, you know, a hunger strike is not something to take lightly. Um, You know, but folks feel very strongly that, you know, they've contributed to, like I said, a very important sector of the economy. They've they've supported their families on these jobs. Um, We know that the industry is eventually going to recover. We just want to make sure the tourism minister. Uh, the labor minister, the province, you know, recognize the crisis in front of them um, and make sure they take action to address uh, the crisis facing B.C. hotel hotel workers.
0: As you said, a hunger strike isn't something to be taken lightly. But do you feel that the government heard your concerns during the last hunger strike at the legislature building earlier this month?
3: I, I think that's a good question for the for the government to answer. You know, are they listening to the concerns of hotel workers? Um, we're asking them, you know, is it, what we're saying is, look, there was a, a provincial review that was conducted that was completed on the 20th. Um, so we're a week later, we still haven't heard a response from the government. We're concerned about that. Uh, we want to make sure that they're taking this seriously um, and, you know, addressing the crisis. And we haven't heard anything from them yet. Um, and that's a, that's a concern to us.
0: What have you heard from other hotel workers or hospitality workers across the country? Are they united in this fight?
3: You know, I think, uh, you know, this is something that we're seeing not only in Canada, we're seeing the same thing in the United States where workers who have been doing the you know, working in these jobs for years are you know, are our layoff um, and being told or uh, being terminated while they're still on layoff. Um, we've had a number of non-union workers come to us and say, look, I've been working in my hotel for some time. Um, and they have been, you know, they're laid off in March like everyone else. Um, there have been massive terminations that have happened while they're still on layoff. We've seen some workers denied their ability to, to claim severance. Um, we know that the temporary layoff provisions are going to be expiring at the end in, on Monday. Um, so we're curious to see how the province is going to deal with that because non-union workers, you know, have even fewer protections to come back to their jobs. Um, what we've been saying to the governments, whether you're a union or not, you know, we're all in the same boat. Um, you've got to address this problem because workers are facing mass termination now. Um, we're also seeing workers' rights on the job being stripped away. Um, the example of the Pan Pacific is one I can share with you where uh, workers there were asked to uh, they terminated some number of workers. And then for those who remain on the job, we're told, look, you need to sign away your years of service, become a casual, on-call employee, and then waive your rights to claim severance if you want to continue to stay on this job. That's a real problem. And we don't see uh, the province addressing, you know, what's happening in the sector right now.
0: So what happens from here? Where do you go from here if this hunger strike doesn't work to ensure that, that guarantee that you're hoping for, that security you're hoping for?
3: You know what? We're going to keep pushing. You know, we're going to keep pressing. Our workers are committed to continuing the hunger strike. We're going to continue to urge the government, the tourism minister, the labor minister to take responsibility for what's happening. And I think we're going to keep we're going to keep at it until we see that the province is taking some action.
0: Michelle Travis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. If you're wondering why the NBA, WNBA, MLB, and MLS have put playoff games on hold, then listen to this statement read yesterday by the Milwaukee Bucks outside of their locker room.
4: When well, we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful
1: measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves,
4: take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote on November 3rd on
0: behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks. Joining us now is Howard Kelsey, Canada Basketball Hall of Fame inductee and a leader in the Canadian basketball community. Hi, Howard.
4: Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having me on. This is a a very uh, volatile subject. I've already had hundreds of people calling me just finding out that... uh, We're going to address this subject, so congratulations.
0: Mm, Well, you know, 2020, it's certainly been a year of monumental moments. In your opinion, Howard, is this not only one of the monumental moments of this year, but perhaps the whole decade?
4: My opinion, yes, and I just want to back up a little bit. When I saw the video, and again, the backdrop and context to this is we're all aware of what happened with George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Brianna Taylor. Uh-huh. That's been building. I can't believe that any police officer, and I'm a big supporter of the Vancouver police and police in general, there's a big difference between what's happening in the United States and in our city. So I want to commend VPD and Chief Palmer because we, are, we don't have any of that going on over here, but that somebody could actually shoot a person in the back that's unarmed and not part of a crime, let alone seven times, let alone with their children in the car, flanked by multiple other officers. So I don't know what the word is. I've been trying to find one that it passes appalling because I was appalling with with, uh, George Floyd. Uh, It's terrible. Uh, We're in a crucible. This is taking action. So I want to go back when you talk about history. The most important step that was made in sports, and it's not a coincidence that sports uh, celebrities are speaking, I've had on my wall for 50 years the iconic black power with Tommy Smith and John Carlos and the Australian runner in the 68 Olympics in the 100 meters. That was the first iconic protest in sports. Then you had Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Jim Brown standing up. Those are the people that began the movement through sports and iconic leaders, and now we're at another crossroads. And I commend the NBA, the Bucks, but the other players had to be part of it, so did the coaches, for drawing this, because they do have a platform. But this is not about sports. This is about people of all races. White people have to be standing up for black people here. We've had a lot of black players speak it, but we—it doesn't matter what your race is. I grew up on Kitts Beach where race is not an issue. Been there for 50 years. It's the melting pot of Western Canada, for everybody getting along. Why? Because we're all out there playing and having fun. There is no race when you're playing sports. So I just want to say that yes, it's a transitory moment, but it's not about rhetoric. It's about action. So I'm going to make a proposal here. First of all, there should never be shoot-to-kill allowed. And they might want to re-examine whether bullets are used or tranquilizers are used. Consider those things. Why are people getting shot in the head in their heart area? Why are we not being much less aggressive unless you're in a shoot-to-kill moment, which is very rare? But a man with his back turned to you is not a shoot-to-kill moment.
0: When you talk about action, we saw some action at the beginning of this season in, in many different leagues as athletes made statements or as leagues made statements, for example, uh, putting a powerful slogan on the back of a jersey. But obviously, that wasn't enough action to actually instill change in that culture of the United States.
4: True, and it's as good as you can do, and I commend the Raptors because they let it. But at the same time, remember... It's, it's a different country than ours. We're similar cultures, but we are not the exact same cu- uh, culture. We're slightly different. And at the same time, you can't control every city. I'm shocked that a small town in Wisconsin, 45 minutes outside of Milwaukee, would have this occur. I'm not saying it should occur anywhere, but if it's going to occur, you might think it's on the south side of Chicago or tough parts of Detroit or tough parts of L.A. or New York City, but... That's a small town in Wisconsin, and it wasn't one officer. They was flanked by multiple officers, and again, in the back. So short answer, you can't control every city. Yes, the message is out. It's high profile. I'm on your show. Um, one of my closest friends, Leo Routes, he's uh, leading the Raptors charge. We all have to stand up. But the end of the day is the message is getting out. But the issue is in every single community, You can only manage your own backyard. So manage it.
0: The Toronto Raptors playoff game against the Boston Celtics tonight has been postponed in the aftermath of that weekend police shooting in Wisconsin. And that news has been met by mixed reaction from fans. What's your response to people who say to protesting athletes... Shut up and play ball. Just shut up and play ball, essentially.
4: Well, I've been told that all my life. <laughs> that's a different matter. First of all, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the context of what we're doing. First of all, I commend them for doing it because they said, yeah, no mass. no more. We have to draw a line. We have to stand up and we have to draw more attention to it. So playing is not going to draw the same level of attention as what has happened yesterday. And again, here's the NBA taking a leadership role, as they did by going in the bubble, as they did by having Black Lives Matter on buses and on the court and things like that. So I think it was uh, a great move. And uh, I'm also glad that they're looking at returning. But whether they return or not, again, this is bigger than basketball, and this is bigger than any sport. It has to stop. So just take responsibility first. For your own home, then your neighborhood, then your province. Very few people can manage a whole country. Just manage your town. That's what it's about. And I also don't like the issue of let's defund the police. It's not about defunding the police, it's about educating people that may be inclined to misuse their power. But that's every single police department is different. And again, I'm going to defend vigorously the VPD, and all the police departments, because I've never had bad experiences in in our province or in our city. It's totally different in some of the situations that we're seeing, which are uh, all across uh, international media. Those are totally different cultures than ours. But at the end of the day, you can only manage your backyard. So manage your backyard.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's an issue that's bigger than sports. It's much bigger than sports. But how do people finally get this message. I imagine that role models like athletes taking a stand is at least a step in the right direction.
4: Yes, they they have the most powerful convoking uh, power in the world, other than obviously the president of the United States and presidents of countries. But hey, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, LeBron James, people listen. They have huge power and they all lead. Tommy Smith and Johnny Carlos standing up on 1968 Mexico City, in the 100 meters, I've had that on my wall all my life. I didn't just come into it now because it's a, a fashionable thing to do. We need to be accepting of all great people. We don't need to be accepting of idiots. If you're an idiot and you're black, you're an idiot. If you're an idiot and you're white, you're an idiot. If you're a good person, you're a good person. It has nothing to do with your race per se. But you cannot be, as Doc Rivers said yesterday, subject to stop because of the color of your skin in your car, you have to be treating people with respect and we have to respect everybody in our community that deserves the respect. You can't just go out there and be a a goofball and expect a free pass, no matter what your color is. Just behave. But again, I want to take it from the wide to the easily manageable. Can you manage yourself? Can you manage your family? Can you manage a few of your friends? Can you manage the court that you're playing on? Okay, we can do that. Put it on the police departments in the cities in which you specifically live. They can't manage another police department across the country. DPD's done a great job. Those guys that did that in Wisconsin, I can't believe it. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. And that's on the back of George Floyd, who I couldn't believe. Just don't let it happen in my backyard, that's for sure.
0: In about 15 minutes from now, we're going to hear from the Vancouver Canucks as to what they'll do tonight, if they're going to be playing in their Game 3 in that series against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the inaction from the NHL when you had so many other leagues standing in solidarity yesterday with racial injustice protesters and the NHL did not?
4: I'm surprised, but again, the culture in the NHL is totally different from in the NBA. The NBA is right on the front line, and I believe that uh, in the George Floyd, they were slightly behind, but they did react. So I can't really have a strong opinion one way or another on the NHL per se, because you got to give them 24 hours to react, because technically yesterday... This didn't come out until about 3 or 4 p.m. our time. So they may have already been in progress. I can't speak for them. I'm closer to the basketball world. I know within a couple of hours across the country and in the States what's going on. I I would see that they would have to do something today. And also, uh, Gary Bettman's very close. He came out of David Stern's uh, law firm, and he's pretty tight with Adam Silver. So you usually don't see too much happening uh, in the NBA that isn't pretty up with the NHL so I would give them a 24 hour um, leeway there.
0: Howard Kelsey, Canada, Canada Basketball Hall of Fame inductee and a leader in the Canadian basketball community. Thank you so much for your thoughts today.
4: My pleasure in Vancouver, let's take this as a lesson. make sure we manage our backyard and make this and keep this the great city that it is and there's no racism anyway tolerable in our city. Don't let it happen.